0: Welcome everyone to our granted live podcast recording. My name is Krista Keo. I'm your host and I am thrilled to be here with you tonight. We're going to welcome our first guest. Uh, And our guest for tonight, Laura Simpson, to the studio. Uh, But first, for those of you who don't know, Granted is a podcast that's curious about funding in the arts. We talk with artists and industry professionals to find out how funding has affected their career and their creative journey. We have 10 episodes that you can listen to online. And tonight is the last episode of our first season. Uh, We are live right now on the radio, so you can send us a message on Instagram at Granted Podcast, and we'll try our best to answer your funding questions tonight. The track that you heard at the top of the hour is Money by Cardi B. That was a special request for this evening, and that's uh, what we're here to talk about, money. So let's get down to business. Many of our guests in season one brought up her name and for good reason. Laura Simpson is radical and cool and calm and collected and already a very accomplished creative industry leader. She is our final guest on Granted. Thank you for being here with us tonight, Laura. It's
1: my absolute pleasure to be here.
0: I'm so excited. You know, you are someone who has had a really big impact on my career and my life. I will say that. And I think there are a lot of people who could say that. So it's really wonderful.
1: That's really sweet.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even though I've known you for a long time, I still wanted to do some research to prepare for tonight, and uh, I learned a lot of new things, one of which is that you, it looks like you started your career maybe here at CKDU.
1: Yeah, well, my radio career for sure, and I was uh, just a music fan in high school, and so I used to come in high school and fill in do the overnight shift and stuff like that. And then I had a show. Yeah, I had a show for a little while. It was, it was called Soundtrack of Our Lives. Right. That's wicked. Yeah. And what was it about? Uh, I would pick a theme and have a special guest. And so it would be like the song that you had your first dance to. And then I would ask, I would go on the do like streeters and ask a whole pile of people like what was their first song. They'd tell a little story and then I'd play this song and then I'd have a guest and we'd sort of talk about significance of songs and just like how what? certain songs had like a great impact on your life and had oh lots of great guests like Joel Plaskett. And actually one of the things that I did after that was when I worked at CBC, I had soundtrack of our locked out lives while CBC was locked out. and so really? We had like all the CBC friends in there while we're off the radio. That's amazing. It was fun. That sounds fun.
0: And so you did go to King's, right? Mm. And you studied journalism. I did. Too. So what made you want to go into that field of study here? Uh,
1: Well, you know, I was like, I could play music, but I was not a musician. I would not call myself a musician, but I was definitely a supporter. And so like my world was about supporting artists in uh, journalism so i was a freelance writer for the herald and i did the show here at ckdu and then i started taking photographs and this before digital so i was taking film photographs at shows and stuff like that and so i sort of got in that way and i as i was writing more stories and getting more gigs freelancing i ended up being like okay like let's make a go of this and i went to journalism school and then it just kind of went off and a different direction. I ended up being like the legislative reporter. I was at City Hall, did federal elections, kind of just went off in this other direction for seven years uh, doing journalism. So kind of... Wow. Yeah. That's long, Did you feel fulfilled doing that? Yeah. I mean, I really i identified as a journalist. I identified as somebody who was really trying to make a difference in the world through telling people's stories and trying to find stories that were not... You know, as told, but you know, I think in 2007 when I jumped off the ship, I, I kind of imagined it to be like a bit of the, the Titanic at the time because it felt like even at that time that journalism was taking a dip because it was really starting to be run by um, on the spot journalism, producers were looking for clickbait. Um, There was really no deep journalism being put on the air or in the papers, and that's just become even more pervasive these days. And so I kind of made a choice at that point to, you know, focus on what I was passionate about, and that was music. Wow. Do you think that part of your passion for music
0: comes from loving that storytelling Piece like yeah in songs and things yeah
1: yeah I mean I think like I have a lot of deep respect for artists and I think that in a lot of ways artists allow us to tell stories and talk about things that we can't talk about in regular conversation and or just get out feelings like whether you're listening to thrash metal or you know some hip hop or like you know even just a singer songwriter or whatever you're always you know, considering it in the perspective of your own life. And I think it really helps people process and connect in a way that's really meaningful and makes us more human. Mm-hmm. So
0: you've already mentioned that you are influenced by music. Where did that come from? Because it sounds like it was even before high school. Was there someone in your life or like an experience that you had
1: that really inspired you? Oh, it's funny. Um, yeah, I guess like in school, I was part of the band. I played clarinet. Nice. Um But I had a band teacher, uh, Terry Hill, um, who was fantastic, and he really – opened my mind a little bit more to music and, and sort of what people were doing with it and how it could be impactful. And uh, I actually did a, a, like a video project one time on the scene in Halifax. I think I still have some video footage of like Burnt Black playing at Café O'Le and some crazy stuff. Oh, so, I would pay to see that. Yeah, I don't even know where it is, but like it was, you know, he kind of gave me the freedom to explore that curiosity a little bit. And that just, you know, made a huge impact on my life.
0: Yeah, wow, that's incredible. So you mentioned Jumping Ship in 2007, because that's when, it was in October, mm. when you started working at Music Nova Scotia. That's right. Which, uh, um, you were there in the beginning as the communications and membership coordinator. So how did that job, you know, come up for you, and when you were applying, what did you think? And
1: Yeah, I, yeah. you know, I was, I remember I was in New York at the time, actually, and I saw that job come up, and... I was like, oh, you know, journalism and communications is sort of like you can sort of move between both worlds. And so I applied and I had no idea if I was going to get it, but it really felt like, you know, an opportunity to work with artists and support them in a way. Because Music in Nova Scotia, you know, had a mandate to really help artists do what they wanted to do. So... Um, yeah, I I jumped in at that role and did membership services and stuff. I remember like we were still using paper forms to sign people up. Like oh I, was gosh, that, I tell, I remember awesome. telling like all the time. I meet all these amazing artists who are still amazing artists these days. And you know, like Ria May walked in one day and she like signed up. She wrote down it was like, what's your artist name? And she's like. I think I'm going to go by Rhea May because she was Rhea McNutt, right? Right. And so she wrote down Rhea May, and I was like, yeah, that's good. You know, like it was just like these seminal. Ben Kaplan used to sit and use her phone all the time and make long distance phone calls. (laughs) It was great. It was just such a great environment, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, you know, I think that's around the time that we first met because I. Took over your position for one year when you went on maternity leave at Music Nova Scotia, which was, it was so much fun and it really. You know, um, it just really jump-started my whole career in music as well. And and you're right. And I remember, this is funny, Dan Mangan was in town, I remember one day, while, and I was working the front desk, and he came in with his first, I guess if it's, I don't know if it's an EP or first, first album, Nice, Nice, Very Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember he came in and he handed it to me and he's just like, hey, just I'm, I'm in the, the in the area, I thought you guys would like to have a copy of oh, the CD, and I heard that you guys take them or something because we had a CD we library then. Yeah. and yeah, so that's that, amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It was a, it was a bump in place.
1: It was um, up on Spring Garden Road. And the sport, uh, Nova Scotia building. And so we all the musicians would be like huffing and puffing up those stairs. And yeah, all the other folks right. were like, oh, we're sporty.
0: Do you remember when the Stanfields <laughs> changed their name too? Um, I remember was that was. The Folds of Policy. Yeah,
1: it was. Yeah. And then they changed their name. We're like, thank God.
0: Yeah, and they—I do remember the day they came in. They're like, "We did it! Like, we should break open champagne or something." This is what our new name's gonna be. It's gonna be the Stanfields and uh, Johnny Stevens. Shout out to him. He was there at the time too. Oh, Johnny! Yeah. He was so great. Yeah, he brought me into the fold, and I think probably you as well a bit. Was he there when you started, we got or at hired the time? Right,
1: about the same time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We did our first music week together in October that or November that year. We had no idea what we we're doing. Well, I still have the pin that we got made. Oh, I can't say it because it's not nine o'clock yet, but it was Harden the F Up (laughs) was Was our our motto. Was that Liverpool? Yeah. 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 Just with the snowstorms and the power outages. Yes.
0: I have a photo of Johnny actually in a field of just like white snow with an umbrella
1: blown over. He's just standing there like, what
0: do I do next? I don't even know. so so when you came back from mat leave, this is when you took the position as, at the time it was called the Export Development Program. Today it's called the Music Nova Scotia Investment Program. Mm. And that's the funding that is... From the province and it's to essentially, you know, the big mandate of Music Nova Scotia is to foster the growth and development of music in the province. And every province has a music industry association except for Ontario. Um, and I, I think they might they have a number of things yeah, there. Going on, Yeah. yeah. So um, so it's a big deal. You know, it's a lot of money and it's a big responsibility. How, what made you choose to take on that position? um and what were you sort of hoping to get out of it in the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I I don't remember how it went. I mean, it was offered to me to take over and from Christine. Christine Betterman was doing it at the time. And um it you know, I didn't really, to be honest, know what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to take care of the program in a way that was, you know, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Um yeah. And actually, when I started, it was all in, pa- again, I feel like I'm so old, but it was not yeah. that long ago. <laughs> no. But it was all run by paper submissions. It was all, we had stacks of paper submissions. And uh, one of the first things that I did, um, I think within a year of getting in there, is I put it all online, made it an online submission process. Nice. Oh, my so gosh. So it's my first, like, technical
0: Thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna come back to that later, then, because I do want to know more about that. So, so you're there, and and I do have to say that you really changed the face of the funding program officer for me because you really had a lot of heart in a role that doesn't generally have that. It's a, you need to be very objective. You need to almost have no feelings. Almost. To make decisions. But you really did, you flipped it and you really like coached people along and you made an, this open door policy. You didn't judge people. You didn't, you weren't critical of what they could or couldn't do.
1: Well, I mean, I think I saw it as, you know, here are people who, we have this, you know, great program that you know, in Canada, there's so many opportunities for funding and it's not this case in a lot of places in the, in the world and um i knew it felt very opaque to most artists and so yeah i felt like a coach in a way and i think the thing is is that you know i was not responsible for the decision i was responsible for gathering the juries and instructing the juries and instructing the artists on how best to submit and helping guide everybody through that process um And and part of that was not just on the application-by-application basis, but to actually help people understand, like, what is the point of the program and how do you, you know, best use it? Because I think a lot of people don't quite think about the big picture, which is we're really fortunate that the government gave any money at all to that program. And so it was a fight every year to prove, to show the value of that program. So every time there was a final report submitted – that was a piece of the puzzle that went back to the government in a larger report to say this is what we did this is what the money you did you gave to us resulted in and if we could show that it had value and it was really just monetary value at that time then we could actually sustain that program and you know potentially grow it or you know do different things with it and i think it, that's something to keep in mind when you're when you're working with funding programs. Is that there is a larger picture that you kind of are a, a piece of that puzzle, and you know it's annoying to do all that work, but there's a reason for it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a really good point, and you're right. It is part of the bigger picture, and it maybe people don't know how difficult it is for organizations like Music Nova Scotia who administer funding, um, and there's others. Um, uh, to continue to get that money year after year. We know that, you know, every time there's an election and things change over, there's been times where we felt like that funding would go away. It's not uncommon that, you know, in politics they cut back on the arts.
1: Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of programs that are frozen right now because of the election. And, mm. and you know, and it's just a, it's the way it goes. But I think at the same time, like, artists should – be there to keep those program officers and the people running the program in check because it is ultimately taxpayers' money that's going into it, and they need to make sure that it's responsibly run. And if there's something that you think is not fair, like for everyone, then... That stuff should be, you know, called out in a constructive way that you know the program can be good for everyone in a way that's that's fair and transparent.
0: Mm-hmm. Transparency is key, and I think I'm seeing that a lot more too across the board nationally, with uh, organizations like Factor sharing who gets the funding and how much. I think a lot of people didn't realize maybe that information was out there, and so um, just having the freedom to even talk about it and know what goes on a bit behind the scenes it's not uh it's not like you just drop off your application or send it in and then you know that's the end of it you can kind of get in so when you were you know you've looked at probably like thousands of applications what can you tell our listeners who are artists who you know are are in the system or looking to get in the system of funding what are some things that they should keep in mind when they approach that
1: Um, I mean, I think I would start by a bit of a disclaimer to say the value that you receive from a funding program does not necessarily mean the value that you have as an artist. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to keep that in mind because, you know, not everybody's going to make commercially viable work. And not everybody's going to follow sort of party line of this is how you successfully Become an artist. There's so many examples of people who have not gone through that system and become successful. So in a way, it's a game and you just gotta learn how to play the game. And the game means that you're putting your best, most professional self forward in, you know, business format and trying to make a case for why your project that you're applying for is worth money from the government. And, you know, the jury may or may not agree with you, but the best thing you can do is sort of put yourself in the shoes of people who work in that world and expect certain things and like have are looking for certain elements that should be in your, your application. And the more you can sort of do that and separate yourself from, you know, this is me and this is my whole heart of doing this art and the thing that you write in the paper... Not to say you should misrepresent yourself, but you should you should remember that it's you're, you're playing a role in that case, and in a lot of cases you're not you know you're not writing beautifully and lyrically like you would in a song you're writing repetitive like business speak that is is speaking to the people who are trying to identify you mm-hmm. know what are the one of the things in this application that's going to make it successful
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, so you almost have to remove yourself in a lot of ways from from the content. But I do think that there is a genuine way to really put your heart into it, yeah. like you said, by putting your best, most professional self forward. Um, and so can you tell us from your experiences, like, not to say any one particular artist or industry professional's experience, but like overall did you see things happening over and over that you know just made you cringe or like things that you can remember yeah that you would suggest not to do
1: i gotta i gotta say like when tara was on the show and she called out like you know some program officer said that i you know was very tongue-in-cheek and Flipping in my application, and that meant yeah. that it didn't go over so well in the context of being read in other applications. That was me. I was a program. Them, I knew please. as soon as she said, "I was like shit." Though, oh, didn't swear there. anyways. It was like that was me. <laughs> That's and crazy. I think the thing is, I didn't know that. You know, you got to think about what is your what is your application look like against all of the other applications that are going in, and the, the honest truth is that the jurors who I for the most part, are volunteers and are reading like 40 applications like the night before they get in are looking for patterns. They're doing pattern recognition. They're trying to see, okay, this is the part that says, you know, what the tour is and these are all the dates and all the information is really easy to find. So it makes me cringe when sort of those templates are completely ignored and it just makes it harder for the jury to understand what's going on so yeah it's just, some of that's just formatting and some of that's just like you know remembering to include certain things so i mean to be honest i suck at writing applications i get somebody else to write the applications <laughs> for me now i don't know <laughs> like i can't I'm, that's
0: so funny yeah we've worked together before but yeah. in the early days yeah, side door, and I uh, yeah and but i mean a lot of my clients who i've had over the years are very good grant writers if they were you know, forced in a room to have to do that, they could do it very well, but they just don't want to. Um, and that's totally fine. So, so I hear what you're saying with um, the template sort of starting with an outline, like make sure that you're including everything that you think that people in the jury want to see. And I think another thing to point out is like, if you feel like you have a glaring thing that's very obviously missing or something that doesn't quite make sense. Like just explain it and be upfront yeah. about it rather than trying to pretend like it doesn't exist. Like, oh, we're, you know, I, I can't think of an example on the spot, but, you know, saying something like, oh, we're going to push a song out to radio and then not saying anything else about it through so the whole plan. Or who's going
1: to work on it yeah. stuff like that. Oh my gosh, also if you say that somebody's going to work on a project with you, please check with that person first because a lot of people who are in the jury room are probably going to know who you're talking about and be like they have no plan to work with this person at all, you know. Yeah. You kind of need, like, letters of support always really help, and, you know, just, like, having a plan, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but, yeah, just say all the things, and if you, yeah, exactly, I agree with you, don't, if you have an unknown, just name it and sort of say, like, this is something we're going to work on at this date and be specific.
0: Yeah, Um, and, I mean, do you think that, like, from... From when you were there, from your experiences, are there a lot of people who are just lying? Because sometimes the rules, I feel like, makes it seem like, you know, we're trying to stop everyone from, you know, you've got to send in your proof of receipt and then the proof that you paid the receipt was something else. And sometimes I think, man, who is out there, like, making up a band name and, like, trying to get money from the governments and, like, putting us all through the stress of having to just really, like, uh, just – just be so thorough and detailed do is there a lot of lying or like deceitfulness or is it just people not knowing i don't
1: think people know i don't think anybody i don't think i ever felt like someone was lying right i think people were um you know like they just didn't know right supposed to be in there and and Mm -hmm. especially in the final reporting process like you know i just submitted a factor final report recently and like i used to be the quote-unquote factor representative in Nova Scotia, and we did, like, I think three rounds of, like, oh, you didn't have a thing. You know, you got to do yeah. that. And it's the proof of, like, our proof of payment wasn't right because I had done direct deposits, so we had to go and get verification. It was just, like, you know, it's hard. Yeah. And that's not everybody's bag, and it shouldn't be, like... There's a reason that people have teams and you know accountants and all this other stuff. Like yes. it's hard to be head cook and bottle washer when you're the artist. It's like it's it's whole other you know, it's a whole other thing that you should do.
0: That is good. That's a really good point because artists, you know, they've got very special skills that grant writers like myself certainly don't have. So yeah, you can't expect people like to do it all. Um, um, so we talked a bit just about. Um, not talked about it, but mentioned the Syrup Factory, um, which is a company that you founded in 2011. So it's an artist management services company. And so you work with artists similar to how managers or labels would work with artists. You offer those services, but not under the same percentages kind of contract thing.
1: Um, Where did that idea come from for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was at Music Nova Scotia, I had people had asked me to work with them and it was obviously a conflict of interest. And when I decided to leave, I really thought about how I wanted to serve those artists. And for me, a gap was being able to hire someone for a short amount of time for a particular project. And so I wanted to aim for that kind of service where you could depend on somebody to be really clear and tr- communicative about you with you about your project and sort of help lay out the plan, get you the resources you need um and really like connect the dots and um yeah, so that's that that was the concept and you know fortunate still going. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. And it's great.
0: And you've worked with a lot of artists who I think I would have considered, you know, speaking of funding artists who were maybe at one time in the early stages of their career, underfunded, I want to say, or maybe, excuse me, they didn't have the team of support around them. So they kind of um, didn't have, you know, the ability to compete in that way at that business level.
1: Yeah, yeah so
0: you're offering something that's like super valuable and it's allowed these artists to totally elevate their craft and yeah. like take themselves to new levels and really like fulfill their potential i think
1: yeah i hope so and i and i think it's we've we've you know and i'm saying we because i found sarah jamer or she found me i guess um soon after i started and you know, she and I just like really aligned on the values that we, we wanted to have in this company. And she also really understood that this was a business and that her job was to manage the business side of things for artists. And, um, you know, for us, it was like, we wanted to make sure that we weren't overstepping in terms of like direction of artistic project or whatever. We were there to support. Like it was a very... Strong distinction we made. And I think the people we ended up working with on a long term basis have a very strong idea of what kind of artist they want to be. And we don't step on that. You know, we're we're really not going to make any decisions about that direction at all. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's about like just, you know, trying to float that. Yeah. I love that. And then you've
0: got Side Door. Because, you know, you didn't quite have enough on your plate, really.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny, though. Side Door was, like, the thing that I wanted to do the most. Like, before I even left Music Nova Scotia, I was hosting shows at my house. And I knew that that was my favorite time of life, to be honest, was just sitting in my own house and watching shows with, like, my daughter sitting on my lap and in my slippers. Like, nothing better than that. And I knew that there was... So much opportunity in, in shows like that because it was low overhead and high profit for the artist. And beyond the monetary thing, which thankfully in the funding world is becoming more understood, is that qualitatively you can develop your audience so much better at these kinds of shows. You meet everybody. You're selling lots of merch. You're gathering all their emails for you know newsletters or whatever. And I knew there was something there that I really wanted to make happen everywhere and like the biggest thing is that people were like oh you just do those shows because you're connected to people in the music industry i'm like well no you this is something that anybody can do you anybody can host it and really everybody you know it's been an underground cash-based system for a really long time it's like the parlor gig is like definitely the, one of the oldest forms of performance but there's a lot of things about it that were challenging like artists couldn't find those gigs uh people who wanted to go to those gigs couldn't figure out where they were. It was all very like secretive really. And I wanted to sort of daylight how to do it and how to show up and how to meet each other and like how to partake in that community.
0: Mm -hmm. And so Side Door, it's an online platform that matches artists and hosts together. And so there's a huge tech component of that for you. So when you were looking for funding for the early stages of Side Door, um was it hard for you to find out where you fit in because it's a music business, but it's also a tech business, and you're also a woman, and you live here? And so, I mean, was it
1: hard for other people to understand how? Yeah, I mean, again, the funding— thing being a game you're sort of like mm-hmm. you know w- who am I dressing up as today to right? impress this person and in a lot of ways you know you kind of knock on as many doors as you possibly can and you try to I mean my thing and I always said the to artist too is like don't try to squeeze yourself into a box and change your project just because it fits a funding program like just don't mess with that nobody's gonna be happy at the end of the day but you know for us it was sort of like a Picking and choosing from different programs that would support us, so like we would get funding from NSBI, Nova Scotia Business Inc., but we would also get funding from you know like Factor, and so there was like different components that we could pull from, and we went after private investment, which was a completely different game. And it's still (laughs) is,
0: (laughs) yeah, really that is a huge part of the tech startup world. You're right, and so
1: is it similar to funding like you have to put together an application ish which is more of a pitch yeah you're pitching a lot you're pitching in person you're pitching in front of rooms of you know 20 people who ask you questions for an hour you're you know pitching one-on-one you're pitching over the phone you're like i've done so many pitches in the last two years i can't even count anymore that also means that i have been rejected So many times, my gosh, including today. (laughs) Oh no! That you know, it's like you you got to be so resilient to failure, right? And I think that's a theme that you know it's it's so hard when it's your baby, and to go out there and try to like think that you're doing the right thing and you're checking all the boxes and you think it's a good fit and think you got a shot, and then nothing, (sighs) you know. And I get that, I get that failure piece um that artists go through it hurts and i think it hurts a lot more for artists who are like like i say literally like super vulnerable putting themselves out on the stage and like it's very personal for them for Mm -hmm. me i can hide a little bit behind like this is the mission of the company and you know i'm i'm sort of doing it for this other thing it's not me directly not me personally you know but it still hurts. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's still your idea. Yeah, it's still something you've made a ton of sacrifices for, and something that you really want to see succeed because you believe in it. Yeah, yeah and a lot of people do too. Um, we are going to take a quick break. And we're gonna play a brand new track. Actually, we're gonna have some music tonight too. Sweet. Uh, yeah, from a very talented up and coming artist named Jody Upshaw. Sweet. It's called "Guilty One." I know it's brand new, um, and it's actually produced by Classified Fancy and O Sound. You're wearing a Classified hat. That's <laughs> amazing. Now I just need a Jody Upshaw shirt. Uh, and uh, so you can check her out online, and the song is on YouTube, and she's fantastic. Ooh. Was your
2: first one and i'll ever be your last i thought we had something but you ended it fast when you treated me like i was just a stranger turned our happiness to jealousy and anger had me thinking i was doing something wrong now mama told me i was messing with the wrong crowd said i lied to you boy but I didn't mean, but you can't put it on me, cause you lied to me boy and I'm not the guilty one, I know and I know that I never was your first one, and I'll never be your last, I thought we had something, but you ended it fast. I thought that you were different, but I guess not Had me thinking it was time for me to step off Acting like it's my fault, acting like it's my fault But you're the one that blame for it all You said I lied to you, boy, but I'm not the guilty one What you think you had the chance but you ruined it you ruined a really good thing don't need to hear your excuses what you're saying now is pointless you can live a lonely life now and honestly i hope that you enjoy it cause you lied to me boy and now you're the guilty one oh you lied to me boy and I'm not the guilty one, no I never was your first one, never be your last I thought we had
0: something, but you ended it fast Well, that's such a great track. Jody. I know. She's wicked. Love her voice. Love that she's doing some new music and putting it
1: out there, too. Yeah, she's she started when she was way young, too. Yeah, and she's still really young. She's still really young, but she's killing it. Yeah. It's good
0: to see. Um, so before we left for the break, we had touched on, actually, a bit about what I wanted to talk about next. And, uh, you know, that is really a lot of what we've talked about is you um uh, being an entrepreneur you know even when you were at music nova scotia you approached the position and did it in a different way um because you saw that there was a need for that and then with the syrup factory inside door you saw those opportunities too and so have there been times when I guess you just described it with funding that you didn't get the funding, but has there been times when you thought like, maybe I'm doing the totally wrong thing. Is this ever going to work? Like, can I do this full time? Does this make
1: sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a daily, like, um, <laughs> daily. <laughs> what are we doing here? But, um, you know, look, it's, as soon as I made the choice to kind of do the entrepreneurial thing full-time, like, I would take breaks. I would take vacation from Music Nova Scotia, and, like, work at the Halifax Jazz Festival or, you know, do all this stuff. I was, like, working the kind of hours that you do as an entrepreneur anyway. And I was just su- super curious about every angle of the industry and, like, learning. And, and as soon as I kind of turned the switch to say, this is how I think – That things should be done. And I'm very clear about what that vision is. Like, to me, the vision is that, you know, generally, uh, I think that artists are way undervalued and way underpaid and way, like, disrespected in our society. And except the 1% of people who seem to make it to the top. And, you know, I just think there's just so many artists that are doing things that are remarkable and meaningful and I want to help them get a platform. I want to help them get in front of audiences and the mechanism by doing that is through these things that I've created and I really just, you know, that never gets old. Like I never get tired of waking up in the morning and wanting to figure that out. That's a problem I will solve for the rest of my life. And I might not get it right every time and it may not, you know, like hit the mark for everyone. But I think, you know, like I get up every day and read the reviews of the shows that we do with Side Door. That's the thing I do. It's just like. Wow. I didn't you know, know that. Just know that the shows that we're producing are creating joy for people out so there. So you mean reviews online?
0: Yeah. Oh, OK. Because people could put reviews of the shows. Yeah,
1: so they, it's after a show you get an email and people can put in whatever comments or whatever and we have like this insane rate of like 95% of all the reviews are four and five star reviews and just like really amazing comments and um, it's gratifying not only for us as a team to see that, but it's also like something that we put back out to the artists and be like, you're doing great. Like this live performance touched people in a really serious way. And at the end of the day, like, you know, something my husband says all the time is like, if you're not enjoying the process of the problem you're trying to solve, like, what are you doing? Like, that's your daily life. So you kind of need to be okay with the grind. Yeah. In order to not lose sight of what's important. Like, I don't know what the end of this looks like, but, you know, like it's sort of a destination off in the horizon and like, I'm enjoying this process as hard as it is. I don't ever wake up and be like, I'm out. I mean, I do have daydreams once in a while about being a postal carrier, but. <laughs> <laughs> like, Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's so And I know so many musicians who are postal carriers, and I'm like, I get it what yes. really yeah
0: okay yeah i mean i faint about working in a flower shop
1: <laughs> if there's an equal to <laughs> that that's what my escape is all the, fla- the florists and postal carriers who be calling it and be yeah. like you know it's not that easy
0: yeah that's it it's probably i know we're romanticizing it but still yeah it's hard so so i mean what is your what can you say to to some young entrepreneurs and the emerging artists out there and even maybe the artists who aren't emerging who feel like they're kind of climbing
1: uphill what what words of encouragement can you pass on to them I mean I just think that if you're feeling like you're doing your best self and um, you can go to sleep every night and feel good about that that's all you can do. Like it's, you're definitely, definitely going to have failures. It's, it's going to hurt and the system's going to feel unfair and you're going to get pissed at program officers and you're going to piss the industry. And most people are, and you're going to get cynical or whatever, but the only thing you can actually control is yourself, you mm-hmm. know? So it's just going back to that old idea that, you know, you really just have to come out and be your best self and, and be, be true. And like, I think, In the artist world, like, the greatest artists that we have ever seen are the ones that are just absolutely nobody but themselves. They are heroes for the rest of us who are hidden under layers of just societal bullshit, you know. So, like, just keep doing you. Like, don't stop doing that. That is so important to, like, continue the process of developing what your voice is and who you're going to be in In the world when you're performing or when you're writing songs, you know, like even when you're online, which is its own podcast. But, you know, like don't kill yourself trying to be somebody else. Like I think more and more people can, you know, understand that, you know, they connect to what's real. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's really good. That's really good advice. Um,
0: I, I, I think we are running. We're running out of time. We're
1: going to wrap things up. I want to thank you for being here, Laura. This is this has been awesome. It's my pleasure. Thanks for doing the podcast. I think it's really important to have the conversation. And thank you. The more people talk about money and the hard stuff, the easier it gets. I know.
0: And you know what? Let me. I'll be totally upfront now that we're at, to season one. You know, I applied for funding for this podcast and oh, I yeah. didn't get it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So it doesn't mean that it's not great. Even if you don't get funding, right? You just go ahead and you do it anyway. It's going to be scrappy. Just got to do it. You yeah. just do it and then uh, you do it because it really ultimately makes you feel good and other people like it. And, and that's so awesome. So we actually have some pretty exciting news to share. Um, on that note, CKDU is going to begin airing all our episodes of Granted Podcast. Sweet. Yeah. So... Um, We've got a wicked time slot on Thursday from 4:30 to 5:30. So we've got the drive. It starts October uh, 24th this this th- next Thursday. Um, <clears throat> so that's awesome. Thank you to Side Door for sponsoring this live podcast recording, and to Stephanie at CKDU uh, for reaching out with the idea and for CKDU support. She's been with us all he- all evening. Thanks, here. Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> So quiet. So good at her job (laughs) over there. Uh, Thank you also to John Mullane, who is the co-producer for Granted, for being on board with everything all the time. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you, John. You rock. Uh, To our featured artists and all our guests and listeners, we thank you and we hope you enjoyed the show.
1: Can I say something about John? Yes. He was in the finals, the final ping pong championship at Nova Scotia Music Week 2007 against Ghetto Child. No, I think Lenny Gallant was actually... No, Ghetto Child, a whole other artist. Oh, really? And now I have a picture of him playing Ghetto Child in this ping pong tournament that we pulled together. Anyway, he was a champion ping pong player as what? well as a great producer Okay, well, I feel like writer. we need to
0: bring that back in some way, in some form. And also, we have to start digging out these photos oh, that we're man. talking about because everybody start needs a to see someday. this. Yes,
1: please. Old lady museum. Um,
0: that's right we're, we're signing off with our final songs for the night uh, first up is a rock tune called Put It On by Kids Losing Sleep I am so into this band mm. John is producing them as well and uh, they're doing a ton of great stuff and then Friday Night Mites by Pop Rocker's dance movie Love Tara Lover Band hey. check them all out online uh, you guys rock thank you for listening good night thanks Krista thank you